year was 1984. The Ghostbusters got foot loose as a Beverly Hills cop fresh from the police academy investigated an accused illegal kick from a karate kid. Sister Christian spun round and round in the purple rain as the heart of rock and roll caused everyone to jump. Space Shuttles, MTV, Hulk Hogan, CD players, and my favorite show, The Fall Guy. Well, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell, but I've been seen with fire up. I've never been with anything less than a nine. So fine, I've been on fire. Cosby, Dukes, Magnum, Chairs, A-Team, and a talking car. Dungeons and Dragons, Inspector Gadget, Fraggle Rock, and the Snorks. So many things, so many memories. But it was July 15th when Alex Rogan got the high score on Starfighter in a dark, dank California trailer park. When we discovered that some dreams can come true. It was summer. It was hot. It was 1984. And this is The Last Starfighter. Okay, everybody, welcome to Cinephile's Flashback Show. Today, I bring to you the great, the amazing Jeff Dwoskin. Everybody knows Jeff. That's what the, That should be a show. Everybody knows Jeff. I don't know if everybody knows Jeff, but thank you. I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were able to come and do this with me today because although I threw a flyer out there to a lot of people, because I'm willing to have anybody come on at this point. I don't even care if they're podcasters, Jeff. I don't. I want people to experience it. It's a good way to experience podcasting. Just come on and talk about a movie. That's all. Talk about one movie, one year, pop culture, all that stuff. So today you chose, what movie did you choose? I chose The Last Starfighter, the 1984 American Space Opera Classic. America Space Opera Classic, 1984. I was 15, Jeff. How old were you? I was 14. Good years. Good years before the bills. We didn't even know what a bill was. Nope. Nope. Nothing came in your name. What, what would come in your, what would come in the mail in your name? Like a mad comic? magazine. You're right. Mad magazine. Yeah. That's about it. Mad yeah, magazine. And you were all excited to get that. I so, remember, I remember it was a big deal to like, um, because I got a TV in my room when I was 13 for my bar mitzvah. I got a TV. So I didn't have a TV in my room until then. Then I remember it was a big deal to get cable in my room as well. Yeah. Well, definitely. <laughs> nowadays, nowadays, you know, it's like, I remember with, with my kids, I never got them a TV for their room and then realized, well, didn't they didn't need one because, or them now asking or wanting one was because screens changed right it became phones and ipads laptops computers right you don't need tvs anymore and so you know that was that but it was such a good deal in in, the 80s for me and you have girls the same similar ages to mine and you know within those five-year range the your daughters probably just like my daughter do not wait for tuesday night you know, like we did, you know, we waited for Tuesday for our show on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday. There's nothing they're pining or waiting for. They just wait for it all to come out and then they would stream it all and just watch it. 
there's yeah, it's a whole different that. way now to the whole to consume content. Yeah, I dude. don't think it's I don't think it's better. I I think you know the whole concept of the water cooler being gone and people not being able to discuss shows week after week, like WandaVision, I think brought that back. The Mandalorian brought that back. You started to remember like the excitement of being able to actually talk about an episode. The problem when a whole season drops, you you binge the whole thing. I watched the first two episodes. We can't talk about it because you can't figure out what the first two episodes were in your head because you blew through the whole thing. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, and it's all actually on your other show, Crossing the Streams. Jeff also does a live show called Crossing the Streams every Wednesday at nine thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time, eight thirty Central. 7.30 Mountain Time and 6.30 Pacific Time. What about European? European time. <laughs> Do we know those times? But you had mentioned on the show the other day, I was watching one of the episodes, and you had mentioned that you only watched the first episode of Ozark. And you, had a, you had a very good reason that never entered my mind because I'm not in a marriage or anything. But it's what you said was, it, it was a great show. Great. Everything was good. It just wasn't something I wanted to fall asleep to. You know, it wasn't something I wanted to lay in bed and watch. And you're right, because you would have been up for another hour watching either the next one, the next episode, or shaking, you know, one or the other. It just isn't good marriage, lay in bed, watch TV at the end of the night type material. Right. Like we... In our house, we watch Friends at night. That's my wife puts on Friends on repeat, puts the TV on a timer, and then it usually, you know, go for an hour or so, and then automatically just turns off. Because we, because you can have it play and you can sleep to it because it's so familiar, at least to us, that it's, it's just one of those things that it's, it's just more comforting and you can just fall asleep. But yeah, certain things like I remember we start, we started watching American Horror Story once. We started with the second season, which we enjoyed. Actually, I always thought those American Horror Stories, the first six episodes were great, and it's like they completely would go off the rails the second yeah, half of do. every season. But we started to watch the first season second, and it's the horror one, the literally the horror. And um, we watched the first episode. It was so scary. I get scared easy, I guess. But like it was so scary. We're like, we can't watch it because we can't watch this before we go to bed. Well, how often you said your wife sets the timer for like 60 minutes. How often are you still awake when that timer goes off? Um, I'm usually not awake. Um, you know, it, it depends. It depends. on. It's usually a couple hour timer, but like it just it depends on any given night. You know, you know you have those, sometimes you have those weird nights where you think it's the morning and it's only 1, 1 p.m. <laughs> right. And I bounce. I do the same thing. But I bounce between The Office and Parks and Rec. You know, those are my two go-tos that are so familiar with um, with me. But then I'll wake up. I'll The next night, I'll realize that I'm seven episodes ahead of where I was. And I don't remember any of this, you know, because I'll set it for an hour and a half or something. But on streaming, they're only 22 minutes long versus right, right, right. 30 minutes and stuff. No commercials and stuff. But let's get into the last Starfighter. Then we'll talk about your shows, and we'll talk about other stuff. So, the last Starfighter, 1984. It had a 15 million dollar budget, 
and made approximately $30 million and was a pretty big deal the summer of 84. I remember it. I remember it. Now, one thing I don't remember is I was a big fan of the comic book, and I didn't do the proper research on this, but the comic book might have come out after the movie. It might have been made off of the movie because it was so well done compared to the comic book. I think that's how it went. Well, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even know there was a comic book. I'm only familiar with the movie. Yeah, there are comic books. I only know because my uncle owned a comic book store. So I was a collector of that, but I got rid of it. So Lance Guest, the guy that plays Alex Rogan, I, I confuse him and still see a similarity between him and Robert Hayes of Airplane fame. For some reason, I always... A little bit. He could, looks like he could be a young Robert Hayes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it also has Robert Preston as Centauri, K.E. Cooter or Cutter as Enderon, Dan Mason as Lord Krill, Dan O'Hurley, good Italian name, as Grig, and Catherine Mary Stewart as Maggie Gordon, who was my 15-year-old self. I had happy dreams about this girl. And luckily in my teens, I was able to experience her again in one of my favorite films, A Weekend at Bernie's. I liked her. She was also great. And Catherine Mary Stewart was also great in Night of the Comet, where the the movies like Last Starfighter and the one you mentioned, Weekend at Bernie's and Misfits, that she was also in with Kelly Preston, which is a pretty good movie. Um, She was like the girl next door. But in the Night of the Comet, which is uh, kind of a zombie rom-com movie with Kelly yep. Maroney. She plays uh, a badass. She plays. She doesn't. She's not. It's not a next girl, girl next door role. She's much more of a badass in that. And so, it's it's really enjoyable. Both both her and Kelly they play sisters, and they're they're really really good. That's if you like her, Catherine Mary Stewart, definitely check out Night of the Comets. I think you can actually just find it on youtube <laughs> yeah I'll, i'm gonna i actually have never seen that film but i've heard of it during the research and stuff but i'm gonna give you five taglines for this movie and you tell me which one you like so i'll i'll pause in between each one so here's number one in his wildest dreams alex never suspected that tonight he would become the last starfighter two before the last samurai there was the last starfighter three for every earthling who's ever dreamed of adventures beyond the stars comes the astonishing story of the one who made it Four, he didn't find his dreams his dreams found him in five he's got one extraordinary chance at the dream of a lifetime so what do you think um i think number three i don't I- I kind of agree. I liked I like the use of the word astonishing. It's a little longer. I like the first one too. Um, that wasn't too bad, but I didn't like the other ones. It, it, the dream part kind of goes because it's not like this was his dream. Technically, his dream was to go to college. Right. It, it, that was his dream. It wasn't to be a starfighter. He didn't even know space existed. It, his dream was to get out of the trailer park. Right. So, <laughs> I guess in a way. You could um, you could argue that angle, but um, but yeah, no. They um, the only one I didn't like of your 
of your list was the last samurai one which i think was number two yeah but i think but i think three struck a good chord that would that would look good on a poster especially in the 80s yeah where, and, where extra words were okay yeah it definitely <laughs> was now they edit you down and yeah. take as little they try to keep everything a mystery everything's got to be a mystery but there are some cool things in this in this film first of all this was robert preston's final movie appearance this was his last movie appearance before his death on march 21st 1987 and he he was only like 65 years old which isn't very old as you know but people were surprised on the movie set all the other actors were very surprised that he was only 65 because they thought he was much older because he smoked like five packs of cigarettes a day like a chimney and it killed him that he's it's interesting that role they wrote the role for him they based it on his music man character and that's he basically is the music man in space in in this movie and he he definitely he's definitely one of the most memorable parts of the movie his character his personality really make this movie kind of pop it is uh, but he's also doc brown he's very doc brown in this too from the same type of car because the guy that actually the guy that designed that car for last starfighter was hired to create the car for back to the future oh was he he was okay. hired for that so he used a prototype that he was making but he was fired from that he used a prototype in this movie the one that he designed you know and stuff so he used pieces of it because they didn't have a lot of money but one thing about it is but back to the future came out in 1985 right 85 after that but think of all the that was probably a much bigger movie budget wise so they probably were years ahead creating the car you know, i'm looking at it right now and it says the budget was 19 million yeah estimated so yeah it's not that yeah, i think more. it depends i think it depends where you go and look at that stuff but one of the things that gave me nostalgic feeling about this was that small box-shaped robot um shown after alex gets his uniform on rylos it is actually called a heath kit hero one robot and the only reason I bring this up is that's a real thing you could have bought in 1984 for $1,500 and it needed extensive building. But me and my father spent years building Heath kits. My, my first computer was a Heath kit. I have it in the basement still with a floppy drive. Yeah. My dad built it. Yeah. Because I knew the binary code before I knew I had a binary computer before I had a real computer because my father is a C language expert. That's what he is. And he was he was a teacher in the 60s and 70s of computers. So he's very early stage man. And you could tell when you talk to him today because he doesn't even know what to do. It's so strange. A man so smart can't figure out computers today because he knows it from the other version. Sure, sure. You know, but That's the Heath kit stuff brought back memories because we would go down to Radio Shack, buy a Heath kit, you know, small ones, little, mm -hmm. you know, my father's also big into the ham radio and stuff. Okay, so, we never did that, but yeah. That's you know, it's, cool. it's got the same type of thing. And that was really our my only connection to my father was through electronics and stuff. And even though I never took it up, but also in this Will Wheaton. So Will Wheaton is in this film. He is? He is in it two times as um, 
what's his name's little oh, yeah. friend as oh, yeah, as the, right. the young brother's little friend. He Lewis's actually friend, yeah. He actually had speaking scenes in this that were deleted. But they say you could see him in two scenes running around the trailer park early in the movie wearing a red football jersey. And in the final scene, he's obscured standing behind Lewis wearing a blue jacket, possibly over the red jersey. So, interesting. yeah, it is interesting. So the, the interesting thing of note with this movie is it was one of the very first, if not the first, maybe battle it out with Tron, but to use CGI extensively. It was it was the first movie to use 3D graphics to depict reality. Um, and so if you look at it now, if you were to watch the movie now, it looks definitely dated. But I don't remember it being that way when I saw it originally. So it's, you know, they rendered all the spaceships. Everything was completely graphics. Now, if you look at it, it looks like you're looking at a video game. Well, that's the problem is I, I was going to save this for the end, but it fits into this conversation is one of the hardest parts of being a father that loves movies. And when I asked my child, like Riley, to watch a movie like this, she doesn't understand that me and you were convinced this was completely realistic to us. This was realistic to us because we didn't know better. Their, their technology spoiled right now. They're so spoiled by technology that they are missing out on something called imagination. They're losing their imagination. Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember the funniest thing that ever happened. We were watching Back to the Future. I was I was showing my kids Back to the Future. <laughs> I don't know, five years ago or so. Yeah. And they, one of them turns to me and goes, "When's the future part?" <laughs> <laughs> When's the future? Did she say it all nonja? Does she have good timing like that? Like, when's the future part? <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's it. They also Robin Williams was asked to be in this movie. Also, they, he, he was been, he could have been Greg or Centauri actually. But the um, the well, the interesting thing about this movie, if it had been if it had George Lucas made this, they probably could easily go in with whatever millions of dollars it would take, but and just literally repaint the movie and make it look like it was made today with the um. With the special effects, you know, the way he did the special editions and kept enhancing Star Wars. You know, the the imagery, while looking dated, could be updated if they right. chose to do that. Yeah. Listen, the, um, it was geniusly written. It It is an engaging film. I watched it last night again. It has engaging scenes. Now, it also has a lot of stuff that makes no sense at all, you know, from a, reactor, a reaction standpoint. One of them, I'll say, is... At the end, towards the end of the movie, there is, they're riding in the back of the truck, Maggie and the fake Alex. Beta. 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 Yeah. Beta Alex. He tells her who he is and says, Alex, up in space. This girl does not know at this moment that space even exists. And she instantly jumps into a, a prideful feeling like, oh, good for Alex. Nobody would react like that. She's just been told that Martians are real instead. And then he takes off in the truck. Okay. He, the beta takes off in the truck to stop that cop who was taken over by whatever. The alien. No, it was the, the, alien. the alien. Yeah. And she's 
flipping back and forth between thinking he's Alex and not Alex because her wording in it changes. She flips between pride of him being in space and then has no doubt at all. And then he smashes into the radar and she thinks Alex is dead. She was just praising him being in space. Now she thinks he's dead. She doesn't, it, it just made no sense. Maybe they, maybe they edited it uh, in the, yeah, edited it after the fact. I'll tell you one of my favorite parts that I thought was funny that they didn't think through, right? But I think a lot of movies like this did this, where Alex goes up, he's on Rylos, that's this other planet, everyone's speaking a different language. So they give him this little uh, device. I know what you're going to say, but I'll let you go. And it, it's like, it'll, it's a universal translator. But the funny thing about the universal translator is, they start speaking English. You don't hear the English, they're literally speaking it. And it's because their mouth is now speaking English. Their mouth is moving English. It's not moving the other language and you hear English. Right. <laughs> the, well, the, entire, the entire thing shifted. I always thought that, I thought that was funny when okay, I was Okay, well, you didn't, you didn't go where I thought you were going with that, but I understand your theory. But also if you watch the movie, he changes his shirt, but yet could still understand them. He never moves the translator off that shirt, but he changes shirts twice and never, it, the English just keeps coming. The translator keeps working. So I don't know. It, listen, that's, but that's us nitpicking every little. Oh yeah, no, that, that, I thought that was just funny. Just it funny is. When you, can pick, when you can pick out little things like that. Well, I never noticed that before. <laughs> it was like, right. They all of a sudden are speaking English, literally not him just hearing it. I just thought that was funny because in theory, they should have still been speaking mouthing a different language and then they should have overdubbed it and it's a little hokey with the grandmother and stuff like that you know the 80s stuff i don't know about your grandmother but my grandmother was not a what i would call a pleasant woman you know she wasn't that type of grand not the type of grandmother that our mothers were or could be they weren't fun sure. it wasn't fun grandma it was depression era grandma you know <laughs> work work hard grandma but well, I, yeah, it was, it was, they were, they were more caricatures, right? So they, but yeah, it, but granny's role was to keep Maggie from feeling, from wanting to leave. That was her role. And the video game, it, is it outside all the time in the weather and stuff? I mean, wouldn't this thing get ruined in the rain? Well, it was alien technology, technically. <laughs> technically, it was. You're right. But I thought that was the brilliant part. That was, I, you know, the overall kind of structure of the story. I thought was is was very good and 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 made it fun. Like the whole idea that the the so everyone knows the the whole idea of it is this alien race is being attacked, and this uh, Zur and the Codan uh, Armada they're threatening peace in space. So they need to recruit starfighters. So they send out video games to all the different places in the galaxy. And the video game is a literal simulation, though the person playing it doesn't know they're doing a simulation of the actual battles that would take place in, uh, in the Star League, in Rylos, Zur, uh, where all this stuff takes place. So when you beat the machine, which is what the character Alex Rogan does, that's when um, Centauri comes down and, and recruits him to become a starfighter. He doesn't become the last starfighter until all the other ones are 
killed Dead. and he becomes the last <laughs> starfighter. Uh, but but that was the whole idea of it. It's kind of a brilliant concept. And and today it's it's not like one of those concepts that it would make even more sense today, actually, if they did that. Right. Um, I, it, I, what, I did interview Catherine Mary Stewart. It's going to be on my podcast, um, not this week, but mid-July. And I, I made, I joked that if they were to remake the movie, they would do it on Twitch. It would be a, a Twitch game, right? And like, because the games now are so realistic when you think about the difference between an 80s game. Yeah, because that game, that game never actually existed, The Last Starfighter. It never made it to the arcades. What they think it was... It was actually, there was a game that was causing children to actually vomit and get sick because of all the 3D stuff running at you and stuff. And they think it was probably based off that, you know, that one. But there was no Last Starfighter arcade I think they, they. I think there was a plan for Atari to make one, and then they, it just never went to... Uh... Went, never went to production. Well, there's also a plan, you know, to remake this film, and not 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 remake it. It's like uh, it's sort it's a uh, I can't I can't I'm, I lost so a requel. It's a, kind of a a sequel that reboots the original and brings everything up to date. But, but there not, there's not court issues. There's a lot of court issues going on with this. And you know, I think I think the guy Jonathan Butel, who's the writer, I think they got the rights back. And so now they, they created like a uh, a three-minute kind of... Uh, yeah, because it was Jonathan Buta. Because supposedly he had a three-picture deal with the studio. He made Last Starfighter. Then he made another film. He was supposed to make a Last Starfighter 2, and it fell through. And then they wanted to make it... 20 years later, they wanted to make a reboot of Last Starfighter. And he fought saying I have a three picture deal, which means I own the film rights to do that and stuff. And it, it's all Hollywood is messy. It is messy. Yeah. Hollywood, some of these laws and stuff. But another thing I learned was his writing, Jonathan Boutel's the original script actually takes place in suburbia. It's, it's a suburb. It doesn't take place in a trailer park. The only reason they moved it to a trailer park was because of E.T. and movies like that that had preceded it, had already done the suburbia alien type thing. He had to find a different angle. And he thought trailer park, you know, trailer park kid. Right. And then I think it played well in the sense that it kind of didn't exclude anyone from uh, thinking that could have been them. It was very, uh, I see pieces of different movies in this movie now, I don't know whether it, it took it from them or they took it from him and stuff, but it also has a Charlie in the Chocolate Factory feeling of him beating the, as he's beating the game, they yell out, do people really give a shit that much about a high score in a game? Everybody came running. Guys stopped drinking their beer and stopped playing cards and, you know. They, well, it's a trailer park, so it's either that or bowling a 300 game, right? So, right, <laughs> it, <laughs> you're right, because it, I guess that must have been added into the film because in suburbia that wouldn't have worked. You can't just yell out unless you're on a cul de sac or something, and everybody. So, in the out. 80s, it was with the arcade culture was a little different than it would be now, too, right? So, it's possible people would get excited on a high score or something like that, or if you were going to beat the game, 
you know, because you remember, I mean, just going to an arcade was a thing you did in the 80s. So it's, it really doesn't exist anymore. So it's, it's possible that for the time. I think if you did it today, I don't think people would, would get it. Though people sit there and watch Twitch, right? So I guess the concept of watching, they're not necessarily screaming because they're not in the same room, but it's likely that they're, there's right. some verbal cues going on. You know, because people do enjoy watching other people. Oh, uh, listen, in uh, it. you know, my neighbor plays that. What's he play? Rocket League. My my neighbor is one of the top ranked Rocket League players. He's 19 years old. The kid made half a million dollars last year. Really? Playing. Wow. You know what Rocket League is? I don't even know what it is. Rocket League is cars that play soccer. Really? Okay. Jeff, cars that play soccer. He sits... And his mother always says, everybody always told her, you better get your kid off that computer. All he does is play his silly games. Kid's got half a million dollars in the bank at 19. Travels the world. He travels arenas. He goes, I'm trying to think of his name. So people, I'll, I'll, add, I'll update that into there. I'm trying to think of it. They've got fake names, pseudonyms okay. that they use. I know he plays for Cloud9, I believe. But I can't think of his name. Uh, that's incredible that's he's wow. in, but he's actually interviewed and stuff he's like a rock star to these other gamers and stuff but they play in arenas and people watch on the big screen like the hockey scoreboard as he kicks a ball with a car <laughs> it makes it, we sound like boomers don't we we're like kicking that's the awesome. ball with a car what are you talking about kid what's going on back in my day <laughs> we actually <laughs> kicked the ball so and before we end this and stuff I really, the, first of all, the score for this movie is amazing. If you pay attention to it, it's a little, um, it could have been turned up a little, the volume in it, but that's the eighties too. You know, they didn't have the mix capabilities that they do now, but the score is amazing. It, it rivals all the other big, you know, budget films back then. It, it really is good. And like I told you, my only gripe was her being convinced. But in the end, this this movie did play an important part in my childhood. It got me into the comic book afterwards, but it definitely helped me believe in the unknown space that's out there. And between this and the comic book, I really believed that these aliens all looked like lizards. You know, I really started to believe that because that's all they looked like in the 80s was lizards. Right, with the... <laughs> You're right. Yeah, no, this, this, this is a fun movie. I, you know, I, the visuals are a little dated, but if you can get past that and just watch it, and I don't think it's even that much of a distraction, to be honest. And uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I hadn't watched it in a long time. I rewatched it recently. And, you know, it was one of those movies you watched a lot when you were a kid. And it was probably on, it was on cable a lot. And you had the VHS I, tape. Yeah. Enjoyed yeah. it immensely. Highly recommend The Last Starfighter. Oh, the Last Starfighter. And I hope they do. It, it. I think it deserves a reboot. There's so many other junk movies they're doing that are being rebooted. I think this deserves a reboot because I think they could make it so much better with the technology of today. But I hope they bring back some of the characters. I have no idea what he's doing anymore. Um. But the two main, uh, Alex, the person who played Alex Rogan, Lance Guest, and Catherine Mary Stewart, I think a lot of the other ones passed away. Um, 
you know, like the guy who played Greg right, and yeah. Atari and stuff. But um, but I think I think the idea would be that they'd bring at least them back. I mean, the the working title is The Last Starfighters, and maybe Will Wheaton will make his. Yeah, oh yeah, Will Wheaton can come back. His there friend. there was <laughs> a there was a little comment I saw late last night in my um research for this that almost every single person that was in this film also appeared in Star Trek. Really. Yeah, there's okay. a there's a big Star Trek, and one of them is um. Oh, the I think the grandmother, the grandmother, Maggie's grandmother, sure, was in the pilot. She was in the pilot of Star Trek. Really? Yep, she was in Star. She played one of the Granny Gordon, Meg Wiley. Yeah, check check that out and see what that says. But I believe it was her. I it was checking out. You know, it was one of the elder ladies, so I'm assuming her. But I remember it saying she was in the pilot episode the original pilot very cool very cool yeah is it i don't know i don't see it but i might have clicked on the wrong oh wait wait she played the first ever villain in star trek in the pilot episode yeah the cage that's pretty cool you know it's a it's a cool that's pretty cool that's pretty cool (laughs) so so jeff tell us about your two babies your two shows and Anything you want people to know about them? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, well, I got uh, Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. That's my weekly audio podcast. You can find that on Apple, Google, CastBox, wherever you find your podcast. It's a humorous pop culture interview show where I talk to actors, authors, comedians, and uh, have a good time. And then I do a live show every Wednesday Fred was kind enough to mention earlier called Crossing the Streams every Wednesday, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. That's available on YouTube. Tomorrow's, uh, uh, we have about 30 episodes that we've done. And so that's fun. That's a bunch of friends and guests and Fred's guested a couple of times. We talk about TV shows and movies that you should be streaming. So things that you can find on the streaming channels that uh, sometimes it's a gem, sometimes it's something brand new, sometimes it's something old that you can rediscover. So all good. All and, the, and the Netflix metrics. And the Netflix metrics. Uh, Zach Wiseman talks about the top 10 trending things in America, according to Netflix on yep. Netflix. It is interesting whenever he goes into that, because it is, I like this study of what people are watching, because a lot of it makes no sense. Right. Yeah. It just and- doesn't. But then you realize there's a lot of people watching you know, TV, a lot of evil, but okay. So that's going to be it, Jeff. That's, this is how painless this is. This is mind numbingly painless. This is easy. So easy. It's very, everyone jump on the the Fred train. This is so easy. The the Fred train, the double D, but yeah. So this is the cinephiles flashback show. Last week I had the actress um, from Halston and snow babies on. Shannon, Shannon Wilson. Shannon Wilson. And she sent me such a nice letter, um, email in return after the interview, thanking me for, because I made a video. I don't know if you saw at the end, I took one of her, I bought her album because she's also a singer and has music. Sure, sure. And I took one of her songs and created a video reel out of it at the end of the show to let people hear her music. And then I just showed, I took images of her in different movie roles and just flashed them on the screen as her song played. And it's a beautiful song. 
it's and she was she loved it and i even put her dog lucky on there on the screen so everybody loves their dog but okay so that's going to be it for the cinephiles flashback i am fred carroll that is jeff dwoskin not dwoskin like big manhattan likes to say dwoskin and i hope mick manhattan is doing well actually because yes Good good wishes to Mick Mick. Good wishes to to Mick. Mick Mick. Okay, Mick, get well. And this is the Scene Snob, Scene Snobs Network, too, we're on. So everything. This is it. So everybody say goodbye to Jeff. Bye, Jeff.